Good morning, everyone. Isn't it wonderful to celebrate Reformation Sunday here at Rivermont? It is becoming one of my most favorite Sundays of the year. Now, as we would have it, this Reformation Sunday, we pick back up with our sermon series on the order of salvation, and we come to the doctrine of justification. It's like somebody planned it that way. I did. I planned it that way. (laughs) We began back several weeks ago speaking of God's electing love for us in Christ, that our salvation does not begin. It's not rooted here in our life in this world, but it actually began, was ordained before even the creation of the world, that in love God predestined us unto salvation in Christ. We moved then to speak of God's work of effectual calling through His Word and the regeneration of the human heart being born again by His grace. Pastor Brett then moved to talk about conversion, how we offer to the Lord our repentance and place our faith in Christ alone for salvation. And this morning we pick up with immediately... Upon our conversion, immediately as we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and turn from our sin, we are justified before God. That is, we are declared not guilty of our sin. So let us turn our attention to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 2 through 11 on how we are accounted righteous, not according to to our own righteousness, but that which is given to us through faith in Christ. Hear now the word of the Lord. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask, Lord, that you would give us minds that would clearly perceive and understand your word. 
For we confess before you so often we do not think as we should think. We do not feel as we should feel. And we do not do as we have been called to do. We ask, Lord, that your word would transform our minds. That your word would transform our affections. That your word would transform our lives. And that we would walk in full assurance of our salvation through the work of Christ alone. We pray it in His holy name. Amen. As many of you know, about two weeks ago, EPC missionary Andrew Brunson was released from prison in Turkey. He had been held a prisoner for two years, and he had been charged with consorting with a terrorist group who allegedly sought to overthrow the Turkish government back in 2016. Now, what you might have missed in the reporting of this event is that Andrew Brunson was actually found guilty. He was found guilty of terrorism. He was found guilty of links to a terrorist group. You see, even though he was personally innocent, legally, he was sentenced to time served and then released. Now, anyone who looked at these charges, looked at the case, realized that they were completely false. Andrew and his wife, Noreen, had ministered in Turkey for over two decades, seeking to share the gospel of Christ and minister to refugees who were coming from all over the Middle East to the country of Turkey. Never had there been any shred of evidence that he was doing anything but serving the people of Turkey. Nevertheless, before the courts, Brunson was declared guilty. As strange as it may sound, he was at the same time personally innocent. He didn't do it. And legally guilty. He was charged. As we come to the doctrine of justification through faith this morning, it's important that we understand this distinction. There is a personal status and there is a legal status. And the two do not always match. There are times when someone is personally innocent, like Brunson was, but found legally guilty. On the other hand, there are times when someone is personally guilty, but they are declared legally innocent. It was this insight that there's a difference between personal and legal righteousness that laid the groundwork for the Reformation's rediscovery of the doctrine of justification through faith. You see, to justify is to declare that someone is either innocent or to declare that someone is innocent, that they are righteous. It doesn't make them personally innocent or personally guilty. It just declares what their legal status is. Justification is used in contrast to condemnation. When a judge makes his ruling, he will either justify or condemn. His ruling will either be innocent or guilty. And Martin Luther toiled under this daunting judgment of God. If God knows all and is a just judge of humanity, then on the day of reckoning, who will be able to stand before him? 
For how could God declare someone innocent of breaking his law when all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? But then Luther rediscovered this truth. That God in His mercy and grace declares men and women who are personally guilty of breaking His law legally innocent. The Word of God teaches us that those who have faith in Jesus Christ are given a judgment of not guilty, justified. Therefore, being simultaneously a sinner and righteous, both guilty and innocent at the same time. We are both worthy of condemnation, but legally declared righteous before God. And this justification by God is accomplished through the work of Christ alone upon the cross. For the word of God teaches us that Jesus, while personally righteous and holy, was condemned as a sinner. Jesus legally took our sin and died the just punishment for it. And at the same time, He gave to us His righteousness so that while we are sinners, we are legally saints. That is, we are righteous. God is not unjust. The punishment for our sin is paid, and the reward for Christ's life will be given. Yet God shows His love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we might be declared innocent. And He gave to us His righteousness so that we again might be declared not guilty. This is what justification is. Justification happens the moment that you repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ and you are declared not guilty. And what I want to do this morning is bring out more implications, deeper implications of what it means to be justified by Christ's righteousness. I want us this Reformation Sunday to come to a deeper understanding of what it means not to just be justified, not just to be declared not guilty, but what it means to be justified according to a righteousness that is not personally ours. A righteousness that is legally ours, but not personally ours. A righteousness that comes from outside. A righteousness that is alien to our persons. A righteousness that comes from Christ alone. As Paul says again in verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The first thing that I want us to understand about being justified by this alien righteousness, this righteousness that lies outside of us, is that it means that those who are in Christ have an unblemished record of righteousness. An alien righteousness means an unblemished record. Now all of us remember, at least those from my generation I'm sure remember, that ultimate 
threat that a teacher or any education authority could give to a child who was not performing academically or was misbehaving in class. If you continue doing this, this will go on your permanent record. As an elementary student, I remember trembling under such threats. I had in mind this idea of sometime in the future where I'd be stopped by a Gestapo-like authority who would say, papers please. And then he would proceed to read that I had talked in Mrs. Wagner's third grade class, even after my name had been put on the board. And this permanent record would prevent me from ever getting into college or ever securing a decent job. My whole life would be determined. By this permanent record. Well, thankfully, I did not talk in Mrs. Wagner's third grade class. I kept my mouth closed. However, when it comes to our standing before the Lord, each of us does have a permanent record of our actions. When we come before the judge of all the earth, all that we have done will be known. And he will either declare innocent or guilty, justified or condemned. But thanks be to God. For in Christ Jesus, we have an alien righteousness. That is, our permanent spiritual record has been replaced. The file has been taken out of the file box and a different file has been put under our name and it is the file, it is the record of Jesus Christ. So that we are judged not according to our life, but according to His life. According to a life that we did not live, according to a death we did not die. So what does this record look like, this record of Christ? Well, the word of God tells us that Jesus was without sin. He did not only do all that the law commanded, but he did all that the Lord commanded him to do in his life. He submitted his will completely to the father, even to the point of death. The word of God tells us that he loved the father perfectly and was perfectly loved. By the Father. While our permanent record is filled with sin after sin after sin, the record of Christ is completely unblemished, filled with endless commendations of righteousness. In every court case, there is evidence and witnesses. And when we come before our God, our case will not be argued over our life, but over the life of Christ. You see, all the evidence, all the witnesses that could come against us, that filled up our record, was taken from us and it was placed upon Christ. It was shifted to His case. So that when God looked down upon Christ upon the cross, He could say, this man is legally guilty of sin. And must die. That is what the cross means. It means that Christ was condemned. Not for his life. But for ours. And likewise. When our case 
is brought before God, all the evidence of Christ's life will make up the witnesses and the facts of how we will be judged. For Christ deserved acceptance and love and blessing and an inheritance in heaven forever. And that is what our record will show. You see, so often we get confused about this. We are not accepted as righteous before God based upon our ability to execute what Christ might or might not do in the various situations we find ourselves in our life. Rather, we are judged according to what Christ has already done in His life. Our righteousness, the righteousness by which we are justified, does not reside within us. It is not our personal righteousness. It is legal. It is not subjective. It is objective. It is not resident within us. It is alien lying outside of us in the person of Christ. Therefore, all who are in Christ have been accounted as righteous. If you have rested and received Christ alone for your salvation, then you are accepted and you are treated within the kingdom as one who has a perfect, unblemished record of righteousness. One of the most difficult and lasting consequences for those who have committed a felony is being able to find work following their time in prison. I think we can all understand the dilemma. As an employer, it would be difficult to hire somebody that you know has this mark on their record. Yet, I can't imagine the frustration, the fear, the guilt that someone must feel every time they apply for a job and have to have their crime laid out, revealed again, a permanent, tarnished record. But the gospel is telling us that we who have committed treason, we who are spiritual felons against the Lord, through though our sin has put this mark upon our record, a tarnished record, it is not just wiped clean. It's not just that our record is wiped down to zero, but rather it is replaced by the unblemished record of Christ. We are spiritual felons whose records have been replaced that we might live in the assurance of God's forgiveness for us. Justification by an alien righteousness means that we have a completely unblemished record before God. Now, as those who are familiar with the Reformation know, Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. And prior to his breakthrough on justification, he labored with all that he could to fill his spiritual record with good works. We read from Luther's own hand, I kept the rule of my order, that's his uh, Augustinian order, so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got into heaven by his monkery, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out. 
If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, readings, and other work. Sounds a lot like Paul here in Philippians 3, again, in verses 4 through 6. Paul says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You see, if righteousness could be had through the keeping of the law, these men would have had the best chance of attaining it. But when we understand the implications of the gospel, of the work of Christ on behalf of sinners, we come to realize that all of these good works are nothing but filthy rags. Or as Paul says in verse 8, they are rubbish, they are garbage, they are refuse. You see, because our righteousness is alien, it means that it is unmerited. It is not and cannot be worked for. Rather, because it comes from a source outside of ourselves, it must be received by faith alone. Again, verse 9, Paul says that he does not have a righteousness of his own that comes from the law. Well, where does it come from? But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. An alien righteousness, a righteousness that's not our own, a righteousness that is coming from outside of him, a righteousness that is coming from God that can only be received through faith. The righteousness that we claim, the ground upon which our justification is based, is found in someone other than ourselves. It is found in Jesus. And that means to receive it. We must place our faith for righteousness in Him alone. We must trust Him enough to turn away from all of our righteous deeds and wholly rest upon a work that we have not done. Since our righteousness is an alien righteousness, not our own, we have to stop seeking to earn a righteous standing before God based upon our work. And this is the choice that we are faced with. Will you place your faith in Christ alone for a verdict of righteous? Or will you trust your works? You can't have it both ways. You can't trust Christ and yourself. It's not faith to say, you know, I'm going to diversify my righteousness portfolio here. Like Jesus seems like a good righteous investment. But you know what? If that doesn't turn out, right, if the Jesus market tanks, I need to make sure to have some insurance in the bank so that when I stand before God, I can say, look, look, look at what I've done. Look what I bring to the table. You can't have both. You will either be judged according to your personal righteousness or according to an alien righteousness that comes from Christ through faith alone. 
So you must turn from all your vain attempts to make yourself righteous before God. The righteousness by which we are justified resides outside of ourselves in the person of Jesus Christ. We have done nothing to merit it. Therefore, the only way to receive it is through faith, through trusting in the work of Christ alone. When we ask somebody, as pastors, fellow Christians, we say to somebody, do you believe in Jesus Christ? We're not asking, do you believe that there was a man from Nazareth named Jesus that died on the cross? Do you believe he existed? Historically, we know that that is a certain fact. Yes, Jesus existed. That's not what we're asking when we say, do you believe in Jesus? What we are asking is, do you trust your eternal future to the unmerited work of Christ? We are saying when we ask, do you believe what we are saying is, do you trust Jesus's righteousness alone? Have you turned from your attempts to make you yourself right before God to trust fully in what Christ has done for you to make you right before God? Do you trust in the alien righteousness of Christ? And this brings us to our third point. Because our righteousness is alien, it means that it's unblemished. It's perfect. There's a perfect record for us. Because it is alien, it means that it is unmerited. We didn't earn it. Jesus earned it. It's not in us. It's in him. And therefore, it has to be received through faith alone. And finally, because our righteousness is alien, it means that it is unassailable. It is not able to be diminished or revoked. When a parent or a grandparent sets up a trust, a trust fund for their child, often there is an age limit so that the money cannot be accessed until they reach a certain age, 21 or 25 or something along those lines. And they set this limit. Why? Well, so that their child won't waste their inheritance. So that in the foolishness of youth, they don't waste all that they have been given. And when we come to the righteousness by which we are justified, the alien righteousness of Christ, we must understand that it is not given to us as a possession to do with it as we please, but rather is given to us as a treasure held in trust, held for us in heaven. Because our righteousness resides in the person and work of Christ, because of our record being rooted in Christ and not in us, it means that we can do nothing to ruin it or to waste it. Christian, Your righteousness, the righteousness by which you have been given the kingdom of God will not and cannot be ruined by your sinfulness and your weakness. As we read in 1 Peter 1, that we have been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded. You look at your life and you realize not only did your pre-Christian life not deserve a sentence of justified, but now that you are in Christ, you still have not loved God and your neighbor as you should. 
I know that when I look at my life, I know that what you might call my pre-Christian life deserves a sentence of guilty. But my post-conversion life, the life that I have lived in Christ, as I look at the way that I live, I realize I still don't deserve a sentence of not guilty. And the question is, does my continued sinning and stumbling and weakness make it so that I'm less righteous before God? No, because I was never judged according to my personal righteousness. I was always and forever and will eternally be blessed and receive the reward of an eternal inheritance because of Christ's righteousness, which I cannot diminish, which I cannot assault in any way. I can't ruin his record even though it's been given to me. This also means that you can do nothing to add to the righteousness of Christ. It's outside of you. It is in heaven, residing in the person of Jesus. Therefore, while we were born again to walk in good works, which God has prepared for us, Though we are to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, though we are to let our lights shine so that others will see our good works and glorify God, nevertheless, our good works add nothing to our righteous standing before God. There is nothing that we can do to add to what Jesus has done. For we will not come to know the love of God through any righteousness that is of our own doing, but only through that of Christ, given to us by God's grace alone and received by faith alone. Because a righteousness is alien, it is unassailable. Evangelism explosion was a great ministry tool been used by the church to reach out to the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with this program, there are two diagnostic questions that help to get to the heart of what people believe about the gospel. The first question is, do you know for sure that you're going to be with God in heaven? And the second question is, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And for those who understand the doctrine of justification through the alien righteousness of Christ, these questions should be a joy to answer. Christian, do you know for sure that you're going to be with God in heaven? Do you know for sure? Yes. Yes, you know for sure. You do for the righteousness by which you will receive the reward of heaven is the righteousness of Christ. And when you look at Christ's life, you would say, yes, he deserves heaven. And if he does, then I get it. So you can be sure because Christ is at the right hand of God. He is already there. You can be sure that you will go to heaven. But then the second question, well, if God were to ask you, why, why should I let you into my heaven? Thankfully, there isn't going to be a test, so don't be worried. But why? Well, your answer, Christian, must be, I don't deserve heaven. But Jesus does. I have sinned. 
but Jesus has not. I have failed to love God and neighbor as I should, but Jesus has fully and perfectly loved God and neighbor. I have not submitted my will unto the Father as I should, but Jesus fully submitted himself unto the Father and through his life, through his righteousness, through his keeping of the law, he deserves heaven. And therefore, because he has given his record to me, through him, I will receive the reward. I don't deserve heaven, but I rest upon the righteousness of Christ alone. I place my faith for eternity on the unblemished, the unmerited, the unassailable alien righteousness of Christ alone. And therefore, Christian, you can have full assurance that you will be with God in heaven, not because of your works, but because of the work of Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to him in prayer. Father God, we come to you now knowing that it is only by your grace that we might enter the throne room. It is only through the blood of Christ shed on our behalf that we might be pardoned, that we can come before you. And so we call out to you and we pray, O oh God, that you would give us such full assurance of our acceptance and your love for us in Christ, that we might walk with a confidence of faith all of our days. And we pray, Lord, if there is any here who has heard of Christ through the hearing of the ear, but has not trusted, rested upon His righteousness alone for acceptance before you, who has not trusted the blood of Christ for salvation, we pray that you would cause faith to arise in their heart. And even this day, they would be born anew. And we pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.